Good morning. Welcome. I invite you to stand as we worship this morning and welcome to everyone watching from home. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We offer up this time to you and ask for your will to be done. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
still standing. Uh, kids, you are free to go off to Kids Church. Have a wonderful morning. It's going to be so much fun, and we look forward to seeing you after. Parents, just a reminder to pick up your kids at the door once service is over, and they will meet you there. We don't have any pressing announcements this morning, but young adults, if you are a, a, a young person, if you are a young married couple, or if you're a young professional, or if you're young at heart, tonight at seven o'clock we have our service night, and we would love for you to join us there. So without further ado, I'll turn it back over to Tyler and we can continue on with our worship this morning.
filled with wonder, awestruck wonder at the mention of your name. Jesus, your name is power. have your Bibles, we're turning to Daniel chapter 1, reading verses 1 to 17, and it'll also be on the screen behind me. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. And these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azriah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azriah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the, office, uh, the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned uh, your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. 
Daniel replied to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azria. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. These four young men, uh, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Thank you, church family. You may be seated this morning. And thank you, worship team. That was an amazing time of worship together. So let me start uh, by telling you a story this morning. Uh, A woman was driving one day back to her home, and on the radio, she was listening to some breaking news, uh, a story of how a bank was robbed and the robber got away with a million dollars. The next thing she knew as she was listening were the flashing lights and sounds of a police car behind her asking her to pull over. While lost in the news story, she didn't realize how fast she was going. So the officer walks up to her window and asks how fast she was going and asks to see her license and registration. And so after getting all that information, the officer asked her, why in the world did you think it was a good idea to go so fast? And the woman replies, well, you see, I was trying to make a quick getaway. The officer is kind of dumbfounded at this and asks her to elaborate. The woman says, yeah, you know that bank robbery that just happened? It's all over the news, all on the radio. Yeah, that was me. Yep, got a million dollars in the back of this car. So the officer takes a step back, calls in backup, and places the woman under arrest. The sheriff arrives at the scene, and the police officer uh, opens up the trunk to find that it was completely empty, save for a few tools. The officer is perplexed, as she clearly said that she was the one who robbed the, the bank. So the officer and the sheriff walk up to her and ask her what happened to the money. She replied, what money? The officer says that she told him she was the one who robbed the bank. And at that, she turned to the sheriff and said, he probably told you I got a speeding ticket too, huh? <laughs> I know, huh? It's, it's, it's yeah. <laughs> but sometimes... We find ourselves in situations we may never have wanted to be in or ever dreamed of being in in the first place. In those situations, we find ourselves wondering what the best course of action is to get out of those situations. And I know I'm an introvert. If I'm in a situation I don't want to be in, I'm looking for the way out immediately. But the point is, though, there are places we find ourselves in and people we find ourselves around, especially as believers, that force us to stop sometimes and wonder, why, God, why am I here? And it's in these moments that we desperately look for a way to get out of it instead, or when instead, rather, maybe what we need is a change in our perspective. Maybe it's not about why God puts us there. Maybe it's about what he puts us there to do. So the title of this morning's message is Live Where You Are Planted. And the point I want us to focus on is this. God's sovereignty in our circumstances should lead us to obedience despite our circumstances. God's sovereignty in our circumstances should lead us to obedience despite our circumstances. And this morning we are looking at the book of Daniel. This is one of my favorite books in the Bible to read because there are so many accounts from this book that many of us grew up learning about. Maybe you've heard about Daniel and the lion's den. Maybe you've heard of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego getting thrown into the furnace and coming out unscathed. Or if you're a VeggieTales fan growing up, you know them as Rack, Shack, and Benny, and, and they, they were thrown into the furnace because they wouldn't worship the giant chocolate bunny. If you have seen that before, you probably have that song stuck in your head now, so you're welcome. But we know these stories for the most part. These are familiar stories for those of us who have, grown, who have gone to church, who have grew up in a biblical context. But for those who may be visiting church for the first time, well, we're just glad you're here this morning. But how we get to those different accounts in Daniel is equally as important as those specific accounts. Daniel chapter 1 kicks off a book that continually demonstrates God's faithfulness to us in the situations we find ourselves in when we are called to live lives of faith and dedication back to him despite those places that we may find ourselves. And so our first point this morning is this, sovereign over situations. Sovereign over situations. 
When we open the book of Daniel this morning, we learn that the characters of the book and the original recipients of the book in the 6th century BC are dealing with circumstances that they very well never imagined ending up in. The book of Daniel is set in the context of Israel's 70-year exile. And since the reign of King Solomon, the kingdom of Israel had been split in two. The northern part of the kingdom had already been carried into exile themselves. And the event that Daniel tells us about in verse 1 is when Judah is forced to change their allegiance. Functionally, they, are, they now belonged to Babylon. And as a result, our text says in verse 3 that the king had young men chosen to be taught the culture and literature of Babylon. They would serve in the royal palace, they would eat the same food and the same wine as the king, and they were even renamed. And we should note that none of them resisted this plan. In fact, their Hebrew names had significant meaning beforehand. Daniel meant, God is my judge, and his new name meant, Bell's Prince right? Uh, even when their names were changed to align with the gods of Babylon, their young friend, the young friends never opposed this decision. In fact, in verse 8, we read that the one thing, the only thing that Daniel did argue about was the food that they were meant to eat. And it says, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. So you can say in reading this portion of our text that Daniel made a big deal over what seems like a little thing, right? Like if you look at the list of things Babylon had forced on Daniel and his friends to change, the food wouldn't seem the biggest of deals, right? You'd be thinking, you'd think getting a different name would be worse, for example. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's food, and it's the king's food. They would be eating like royalty, and that sounds pretty good when you're hungry on, for, for a Sunday lunch, but this is where Daniel chose to draw the line. See, Daniel's negative response to this one thing out of all the other things Babylon had already forced on him to change, if we think about it, is actually pretty profound. See, it's that Daniel did not object to the name given to him because he knew who he was. Daniel knew who he was, and others could call him what they wanted. Daniel did not object to the Babylonian education because he knew what he believed. Our text said that even the king wanted young men who were bright and well-educated. Daniel was a smart kid and strongly knew what he believed. But Daniel did object to the food from the king's table because eating it was in direct disobedience to God's word. See, there are many assumptions why it could have been wrong to eat the food, including how the food was probably sacrificed to the gods of Babylon, and that could have been why Daniel and his friends refused it. But whatever we decide on these issues, the thing to underlying every single one of them is that the desire in Daniel's heart and his mind is to communicate that the source of his dependence will not be on the king or Babylon's gods. His dependence will be on the Lord to provide in the situation that he was in. He knew God was sovereign, even where they now found themselves. And see, the book of Daniel is clear, as is the rest of the Bible, that God is sovereign over all things. And sovereign means to have supreme power or authority. And that is something that we can apply to God. We can all agree on that. See, God is sovereign over all things, and he is the power and authority over all things. So knowing that, that must also mean that God has power and authority over where it is, the circumstances and the situations, no matter how painful or difficult we find ourselves. See, verse 2 is clear that the primary cause of the exile was the Lord. He is the one who gave Jerusalem into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. It reminds me of the story of Joseph in Egypt, an amazing picture of seeing God's hand in suffering, God's hand in our circumstances. He, like Judah, experienced an exile, and due to his brother's betrayal, he found himself in the land of Egypt, yet God was with Joseph, and he prospered. At the end of Genesis, he says to his brothers, you planned evil against me but God has planned it for good. See, we must not think that God was, was uninvolved or passive in these events. We can't just say that God isn't here or he doesn't care because of where it is that we may be at. This is how we must understand our circumstances. See, many different things could lead us into, this, into many different situations, including, like Judah, our sin. But despite that, we can still look to God's uh, good and sovereign hand 
See, we can trust that he has not utterly abandoned us. We can examine ourselves, repent of our sins, and resolve to walk in obedience to his commands. The temptation to let go of God is strong when we suffer. And trust me, I understand. The amount of times I've considered how easy it would be to just turn my back on God when my family was put through the gauntlet is unreal. When my sin brought me to places where I had to confront those consequences, it's so easy to default to that. You're not alone in thinking that. But we must hold fast to him. And as Romans 8.28 says, let him work all things for good. So our second point this morning is rooted in obedience. Rooted in obedience. A few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Shannon wrapped up a series titled, Now What? And this question is very much still applicable to these characters in our text today. Right? I'm sure there must have been a point where Daniel and his friends at one point or another asked that question of themselves. Now what? Now what? We've been captured. We've been taken to Babylon and indoctrinated into the king's service. We have been taught the culture and language of Babylon. We were even given new names. Now what? Now what? But as we see in our text, God did not abandon those who stood for him. Verse 9 says, Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. Daniel entrusted himself to God, and God came through and allowed them to have favor with the king's chief of staff. So in our previous verse, when Daniel chose not to, as, as the Bible says, defile himself with the food offered to him and his friends, he chose to go in that direction because of his obedience to God within the situation he found himself in, asking the attendant for a different diet. Uh, growing up, I was always considered in school the quiet kid, the shy kid, and because of that, people were left unassume, uh, unassuming of how persuasive I could be when I tried. Uh, it reminds me of a situation way back in the day. I was in grade four, and I got in trouble a lot. And I, I know, don't, don't faint in shock, like Pastor Scott was a bad kid, and yeah, I, 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 I was, and I got into after-school detention a lot. And one time I was in there because my teacher had to leave the room for a second to do, to do teacher things. So my friends and I started playing The Floor is Lava with our desks. And if you don't know what The Floor is Lava game is, it's basically you're trying to do everything you can not to touch the floor because you're pretending it's lava, right? And so it didn't matter if other students were sitting in their desks. We were just hopping across them like it was nobody's business. Papers were flying all over. It was chaos. And then all of a sudden, our teachers stopped doing teacher things and came back into the room, hence the detention. And so here I was in detention all by myself because they didn't want my friend and I in the same room, which is a smart choice. And after a few minutes, I decided to walk up to the detention person, put on my innocent face, and say to them that I'm supposed to walk my little brother home from school, and he's probably crying in the parking lot thinking I abandoned him. And I played up this story as much as I could to the point where I'm almost sure I made the detention person tear up a little bit. Right? And just like that, I was released. And in my mind, I knew my little brother was fine and, and not feeling abandoned in the, in the slightest. He was probably just in the uh, playground eating sand for all, for all I knew. But I was a punk and knew I could get away with talking my way out of detention. But in our text, Daniel is, was likewise able to be persuasive. However, where my example was of persuasive disobedience, Daniel's is one of persuasive obedience. See, Daniel made a remarkably courageous decision, especially when we think of all the reasons why it was a hard decision for him to make. The king ordered the menu, and so rejecting it could lead to severe punishment. The, uh, refusing the food might have branded him as being uncooperative, and it could have spoiled all chances of advancement. And the food itself was probably pretty attractive, right? It was easy to think that God had let them down by allowing them to be carried into Babylon. Those exiles kidnapped from Jerusalem might have said, why should we risk our neck for a God who just let me down? And yet they were committed to obedience, even if God did not fulfill their expectations. And I wonder how many of us here this morning, no matter what it is we have faced in life, no matter what it is we may be facing, can say with confidence that we were committed to obedience to God in what it was that we were going through. You know, even though we have expectations of God, and even though it was and, and, and is definitely where we didn't find ourselves wanting to be, can we say that we remain fully committed to obedience? 
Because to be honest, I have trouble picturing that of, of myself, right? And I don't, I, don't, I don't want you to think I'm belittling your situations far from it. My heart is for people. And my heart goes out to everyone who is hurting, lost, or broken. And in, in fact, you can ask my wife about this. My personality it tends to be the guy to want to fix everything, right? And that has gotten me in trouble more than once. Because sometimes there isn't a solution other than to make space to grieve but to also make space to trust that God hasn't abandoned us in our grief. And you see, the situations and the circumstances we find ourselves in reveals our functional hope and trust. We see clearly how often we run to the wrong things to find security and refuge and comfort. What have you relied on as your hope apart from God? What experience or dream or possession is often your source of strength? Will you resolve to root yourself in obedience and faithfulness to him in all things? Will you run to him? Because even though what you are going through may be the most difficult thing you've ever had to face, God is still sovereign. God is still sovereign. God is still in control. Will you run to him, church? Verse 12 to 14 of our text today says, Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. Daniel said, at the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food, and then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. There was something so reasonable about Daniel's approach here, right? He could have gone on a hunger strike or, or made some other kind of protest. Instead, he, he made a polite request, and he made it to the right person and said, put us to the test. In this sense, we might say that Daniel made a godly and wise compromise with the chief of staff. He certainly did not compromise in an ungodly way, but he showed wisdom. So as we continue in verse 8 to 16, we learn that at the end of the 10 days, their plan succeeded. Their plan succeeded. They were in far better appearance than all who ate the king's food. And we see in verse 9 to 16 the wisdom and faithfulness of Daniel in navigating a really difficult situation. In fact, one of the most startling phrases that I see in this section is the phrase that opens verse 8. But Daniel was determined. But Daniel was determined. And what I find incredible about that phrase is that even after experiencing such a crushing blow, Daniel still has a resolve to honor God. He was determined to give God the glory in his situation. Daniel, though in a foreign and strange land, never lost sight of the one true God. He resolved to remain, remain faithful and plant himself in obedience to God. He understood that no amount of material possessions and blessings, like the king's food, for instance, could sustain and secure him. Only God was his refuge and his rock. C.S. Lewis uh, once wrote, and I love this quote, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. See, Daniel knew that God was all he needed. Daniel knew that. And the, at the conclusion of our text today, verse 17 says, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. See, these young people decided to remain obedient to the Lord in a remarkable way, and God blessed them in a remarkable way that allowed his glory to eventually be elevated in Babylon. And even in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar, if you read further into the book of Daniel, which I encourage you to do. So our final point this morning. Responding in faith. This final point also serves as our application this morning as we take what we have discussed so far about Daniel 1 and expand on it to best fit our context both as individuals and as a church. See, in Daniel chapter 1, we receive several, several explicit reminders of God's sovereignty. In chapter 1 verse 2, the, the biblical author reminds us that it was God who handed Jehoiakim and the people of Judah into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. In chapter 1, verse 9, he states that it was God who moved the royal official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. And in chapter 1, verse 17, he again points to God as the one who provided knowledge and success to Daniel. Again and again, we see that it is God who is at work around 
in and through the life of Daniel. However, we also see uh, besides the sovereignty of God is the obedience of Daniel. See, King Nebuchadnezzar had made abundant provision for the captives he took from Judah. That this, theirs would be an extravagant lifestyle, a life of luxury, not deprivation, even going so far as to getting a provision of food and wine daily from the king's own table. However, this food did not conform to the, to the requirements of the Mosaic law, and so the fact that it was prepared by Gentiles rendered it unclean. So Daniel's desire was to please God in all he did. So he resolved that even though he found himself in this circumstance that he couldn't have thought in the first place would even be his future before this took place, he still considered himself under God's sovereignty. Even though he could have made up every excuse to blame God and turn away from him because of his present circumstances weren't what he expected, he decided to allow God to work through him in his present circumstance. See, Daniel was courageous, determined, and obedient to God. Uh, I'm going to invite Tyler and the worship team back up. If, if you're here in person this morning, or if you're watching online, then this message is for you. Don't allow your present circumstances to form bitterness in your heart towards God and the plans that he has for you. The whole point of this message this morning is how God's sovereignty in our circumstances should lead us to obedience despite our circumstances. So wherever you find yourself, whatever you're, you're, you're currently facing, whatever gauntlet you're trying to push your way through, whether you're still going strong or whether you want to give up because you feel alone and without hope, I promise you, church, that there is a God who, who, who has created you and has more for you in the situations that you are in. It's not, it's not what we expected. It's, it's not what we wanted. It's, it's, it's not easy. But the God we serve is still in control. And we can continue to work above and beyond whatever thought possible, even when we think we've hit our lowest possible point. It was in the darkest situations in my life where I thought and prayed and cried out and yelled and, and, and all that, that God didn't care about me or my family. And it was in those moments where I was able to see God's grace and love pour out even more powerfully than I ever thought possible. Our situations aren't out of his reach or power. He is sovereign still, and he hasn't let you go. He hasn't let you go. If we live lives simply wishing we were somewhere else, with doing something else, with anyone else, instead of where we're planted, then we will always miss the things God is capable of doing in the midst. Like Daniel, our obedience to God in every situation is what will allow his glory to eventually be elevated our distinctiveness itself becomes one, of, becomes one of the most effective tools God uses to accomplish his mission. So will you run to him this morning, church? Tyler is going to lead us in one more song of worship this morning before we close in prayer. And I encourage you to use this time to examine where your life is and what situations you may find yourself in this morning. I know, I know some of the situations uh, people are going through, but not everyone. And I encourage you to use this time and allow God to comfort you in that, to remind you that God is still sovereign. And after this song, we'll come back and close in prayer before we leave uh, this morning.
Bye.